What is the Bema Seat of Christ? Is it something we should fear or something we should look forward to on this slice of fresh bread? Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville, with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, thanks for clicking on Fresh Bread, Fresh Bread, where we're bringing the truth of God's Word to a starving world. Fresh Bread, podcast number 49. Hey, we're almost up to 50. 50? It's exciting. Like halfway to a century. 50. 50, 50 I mean, podcasts. Yeah, I mean, if, it were, if we did one a year, that'd be 50 years, but... <laughs> That's true. But as it were, we're, we average somewhere around one a week, so it's been almost a year. Yeah, I think it that's probably, right. Probably has been a year because we've skipped a couple of weeks. We started in February, I think. You're yeah, right. Yeah. And today is February. Okay, wow. Well, Fresh Bread. Yes, I'm Pastor Keith. He's Pastor Brandon. And today on Fresh Bread, we're going to talk about the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. And this is something that I'm not really looking forward to because I have a lot to answer for. What about you, Pastor Brandon? Well, I, I do. I definitely feel like I have a, a lot to answer for. And, you know, in terms of what I have done and what I haven't done, so yeah, I, I, it's a it's an interesting concept, but I don't think it's. I think we look at it negatively, but I don't think it's a negative thing. Well, that's good. Uh, we are going to talk about this bema seat, and it's something that we got from one of our listeners. They were asking us the question: How does it work? We're going to be judged on our works. Is it a judgment or is it a rewarding situation? That's what we're going to look at today. So the Bema Seat, also known as the Judgment Seat of Christ. And I was just going to have you, Pastor Brandon, if you just want to walk us through what is it, where is it? Is it is it the one that found, is it 2 Corinthians? Yeah, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. There's the main passage, yes, in terms of the actual Bema Seat and what, you know, what Paul says there. Where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the the bema seat, in bema in the Greek, um, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so, so yeah, I mean that's that's the reference, the main reference in terms of. There's some other there's some other references to you know the the bema seat. You know, uh, it's it's funny because. The judgment seat of Pilate, you know, that was, Jesus was questioned, you know, so Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. And we see that in Matthew 27, 19. We see it in John uh, 19, 13. Um, you know, Herod Agrippa the, the first uh, addressed the people of Tyre and Sidon from Abima. That's Acts 12, 21 um, is, uh, is another, another reference in Scripture. Um, the Apostle Paul was brought before the tribunal of uh, Gallio in in uh, Corinth, according to Acts eighteen twelve through seventeen, and again before Festus, uh, before Festus in Acts twenty five uh, six ten and seventeen. So there are some there are some uh, references to to the judgment seat judgment seat that are outside of the judge, judgment seat of Christ, and so. When Paul refers to the judgment seat of Christ, that's the picture they would have they would have gotten. But in terms of the judgment seat of Christ, that's Second Corinthians five ten. But we also know that, like James one twelve, uh, James one twelve, James says that a similar idea of of being you know the judge 
in James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Yeah, so James 1, 12 is another example that doesn't say specifically Bema seat, but you know, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so the picture there is of being, you know, being rewarded at the end of our life. But, you know, and when we go to be with the Lord, there's a reward that we're given, you know, once once we go to be with him for those who love him, if you know, those who've served him and and, and loved him throughout their life or in their life not throughout, but in their life, they, you know, they, they'll receive this crown of life. So it's more of a reward. And, you know, the picture, if you put that together with second Corinthians, that, you know, I, I get the sense that the picture there is going to be that he's on his judgment seat when he does that, when he gives us the reward that he gives us. So, you know, that's the, that's sort of the idea of it. I just look at it as it talks about, we'll stand before, you know, the Lord and individually judged on how well we used our time, how well we, served yeah. him which which to me is a little daunting well it is but i think i mean it is if you think about it in that way but i think what we have to recognize is that that if you if you look at first corinthians and you know first corinthians 3 13 through 15 if you look at that it, it says that you know in that day i mean if you that each man's work will become evident for the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire and fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved yet as through yet so as through fire. And so the picture there is that basically if it's a if it's your works that are not revealed to be quality, the you know, quality high quality, you know, of the Lord, I guess you could, it is a better, better way to put that rot of the Holy Spirit, rot in the Lord, that those works will be, will be burned up and, and there will be a loss in that, you know, and, and I know that I I think there's going to be some Christians that go to heaven and are going to be before the Lord and, and there's going to, they're going to suffer great loss because they have, you know, gone down the wrong road in, in terms of their ministry, you know, in terms of what they focused on. And yet, they're still going to be the lords, and they're still going to get. There's still going to be rewards, you know, in terms of that that happening. But I think they're going to suffer a loss in that sense. And you know, the the hope is that you would stand before the Lord, and you wouldn't, you know, that your that all of your works would be found to be, you know, having been wrought in the Lord, having been done in the Lord. And you hope that that that's what will end up happening. But I think all of us, because of you know, because we don't know everything. Nobody's doctrine is perfect. Nobody's theology is perfect. You know, we we're going to we're going to have works that are burned up. I mean, mm-hmm. I I I know that, and you should know that, and everyone should be aware of that. But but I think that the that the I think the celebration of the positive of what the Lord has done through us, you know, what He's accomplished through us, I think is going to override or overwhelm any sense of loss that there's going to be in terms of losing, you know, of those works being burned up, burned up. I, I, I get the sense that it's more positive than negative for the believer. That's it. That's my prayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my prayer. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's my hope. And, yeah. and maybe that, maybe, maybe, maybe this gets burned up and <laughs> maybe I'm wrong and it gets burned up. <laughs> In all seriousness, that's my hope is that I stand before the Lord. And yeah, I mean, I'm so overwhelmed by being in his presence and by, you know, what he's done through me and through others around me that I'm going to be so 
thankful for that, that the loss is going to be minimized. Any sense of loss is going to be minimized. But I can't miss the fact that it actually says that there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a sense of loss there. I mean, any man's work is burned up. He will suffer loss. I mean, I, you know, is that just the loss of those works, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't get the sense there's going to be some, like, I'm going to wish I'd have done better. You know, I, I don't get the sense of that. Mm. I think it's just going to be, I'm just going to be so thankful to be there and so thankful to be in his presence. And, you know, that I'm not going to have this sense of, of loss that I've, you know, didn't do what I should have done in, you know, one, you know, while I was on earth. So, you know, I think it's also that it can be mixed up with the great white throne judgment. There's, there's two, there's two of these judgments. There's the bema seat, which is the same as the judgment seat of Christ, right? Is that you, those two are the same? Right. They're just different wording. Yes, I mean that's the that is correct. But then you have the great white throne judgment, which is completely different, which is for unbelievers only. So right, and the bema means bema means raised up. It's, it's like he's higher. Yes, and he's, he's it's judging. yeah, and he's going to judge us, and you know it's going to be. He's judging us. He's judging the works, and I take it to be that the works that are done in Him, that are, you know, that are gold, silver, you know, the the, the precious metals type work that will go through the fire, that the dross will be burned off, and and that the what's left is going to be pure. And what I would say is that what I would what I understand of it is that it's those things that were done in Christ that mm. I did according to his power, you know, that he's worked through me. Um, whereas wood, hay, and stubble would be the things that I did of my own power and, you know, the things that I did on my own, you know. And so, you know, it's, I, I, what you, the last thing I would want to happen other than not being, other than not, other than being in front of the wrong judgment, which is the great white throne judgment, don't want to be there. But if I'm before the bema seat, I, I don't want to be like, well, you know, I saved you, but after that, you didn't do you didn't do so well. Uh, you know, I you know we don't want to hear that. You know, no. we want to hear good, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And I and I sense that that's what it's going to be. My sense of what I see there is that that all believers to a certain degree are going to get the good, well done, good and faithful service. That's going to be a general the general answer to everyone. But there are going to be some who are going to suffer the loss of those works that they thought that they were doing mm-hmm. for the Lord, you know. That right, and it's it's not that you're like you said, it's not that you're not going to make it into heaven. You're already there. It's just these are your rewards. Yes, for getting there. And the in the great white throne, that's that's you said for non-believers. That's where we don't want to be because that's where you're going to have to answer for your sin. And you won't have Christ's righteousness, and so you have no. There is no defense. This is there's no. There's nothing good about it. No, and I mean, you're going to end up being the, punished. Yeah, in the lake of fire. Yeah, I mean that's the. I mean that there's no hope for anybody standing before the great white throne judgment. Yeah. And so, and those who die outside of Christ, there's no hope. There's no second chance. There's no. There's no purgatory. There's not. There's no. There's nothing other than judgment. You know, he's the writer of Hebrews says. You know that we all basically are all appointed to die. There, there's death, and then comes the judgment. And so we all are going to be judged. And for the for the believer in Christ, they're going to be judged for their works in Christ. Um, for the for those who are outside of Christ, they're going to be judged for their sin, and there's and they will be found guilty. 
So the timing on this, this is where it can get interesting conversations. The Bema Seat, is that after the rapture and before the second coming? And then the great white throne is after the second coming, right? Where everybody is, the dead are raised. It talked about then Revelation, the dead are raised, and then they have to stand in front of God. Yeah, I mean, it says the sea will give up its dead. Yeah. You know, the, the whole earth will give up the dead that have died outside of Christ, and they will be judged um, according to their own works. They'll be judged according to their own works, and they'll be found to be wanting, and they'll be... You know, they'll be thrown into the to the. I take it to be after the millennial kingdom. Okay. Yeah, the thousand year reign. After the thousand year reign, the false prophet's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. The the Satan's going to be bound. That's right for a thousand for a thousand years, and then but then Satan and every and the great white throne judgment. It's going to happen after the thousand year reign, and that's when that's when they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And Bema seat is is before all of that. I think I think it to be that the Bema seat is at is going to be at the rapture that that's kind of the way I, yeah, yeah I think my understanding or you know my understanding of it would be and I don't know exactly and it's hard to say on the timing I guess probably people have studied this out but but it'll be you know there's the marriage supper of the lamb I would take it to be during that banquet that there would be a, a reward you know that the rewards would be given out type of thing as we look at the beam of seat it's going to be our our works are are judged and like you said, some will be burned, some will, be, will, will, will sustain, will be rewarded for them. So this, this dives us into the next questions of, are we saved by works plus faith or just faith? Paul is very clear in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. And so, you know, it... As a matter of fact, in the LSB there, it even is in italics. I haven't looked at the Greek recently, so it's hard for me to say for sure what the Greek says. But I, as I remember it, it's hard to understand. It's hard. It doesn't. It's not specific as to which. What is the antecedent? Whether it's grace or faith. I personally take it to be both. I personally take it to be that it's that God is is giving us a gift, the gift of grace. I mean, that's. I mean, grace is a gift. And but also the faith that that he that he gives us that I don't just have some sort of, I mean God has to work on me before I can even believe that mm-hmm. that the, that God has to draw me. There has to be the effectual call, if you will, that happens prior to that belief. And so I take it to be that God doesn't. I mean that that man can't do that. You know, outside of God being the one who does that for him or puts him in that, you know, basically works in his heart so that he will believe. And so I see it, I see it, you know, salvation as being the gift of God from before the foundation of the world. And we see that in Ephesians 1, 4, you know, that, that he's saved us from before the, he's chosen us in Christ before, from before the foundation of the world. And so it's God working through us that even causes us to believe. And so, you know, and he goes on to say in verse 9, not of work so that no one may boast. So that, you know, you don't, there, if even, even saying that I believed on my own, that I made a decision, is a boast. I mean, that just, you know, that's the, more the Arminian understanding of it, you know, that, I've, that somehow I've made, I've made a decision for Christ. But that's a work because that becomes a work. Because I, I, I did that outside of his, you know, like 
his, his effectual call. I mean that, and so I have to I have to go even further back than even that belief. I have to go back before that and say, okay, God is the one who, even the fact that I heard the me- the message of the gospel is God, right? Even the fact that I that I somebody came alongside me and said, you know, you need to believe that's a work of God. And it's, and so any, any, I'm, I'm taking it to, you know, verse nine, very literally to be that, that salvation is not of works so that no one may boast that there's nothing that I did. I didn't do anything to, that God is the one who did it all. And, and so, and so anything else would be that I'm, is salvation by works. And I think Paul is very clear in these verses. And I think he is, and he even goes on in verse 10 and say, for we are his workmanship. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's the one who's, he's the one that's doing all the work. I mean, he's the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pot. He's the, he's the potter. You know, I mean, I'm the, I, I mean, I'm the clay. I'm not even the pot. He's the, I'm the clay that he's shaping into the pot. You know, that's his work, not mine. You know, that, that, you know, that I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, it's all his works. But then he says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared. Not only, it's funny, which he prepared beforehand. Well, before what? Mm-hmm. I would say from before the foundation of the world. That's, again, going back to Ephesians 1, 4, so that we would walk in him, them. So any good works that I'm doing are works that God has prepared beforehand. And if I see it any other way, then I'm actually, that it actually becomes a boast. It actually becomes something that I'm boasting about that, that I did and God had nothing to do about it with it. And I, and that's how I see, you know, people who take more of an Arminian standpoint, you know, I don't, I'm not saying they do it. Like, I think that they're, you know, Arminians, I think Arminians can truly love Christ. I do. But, but I think that they're in danger of, of making salvation a work when they, you know, yeah. by, by saying that they made that decision. Because as I read Scripture, especially Ephesians, especially Paul, I don't see works being any part of it. What I love to show is that when I look at the life of believers in Scripture, you see that pattern bear itself out. You know, you, you know the, Adam didn't create himself, right? At, mm. God created Adam, and, you know, and so God is the one behind that. But even... Even when you, as you go along in Scripture, you see Abraham. You know, Abraham didn't choose God. Abraham was minding his own business, mm-hmm. right? Um, you see, you know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You see all of those people, and and God is using them. There isn't. They didn't choose. And none of them chose to be born who they were. None of them chose to do what they did. I mean, they you you see it clearly in Scripture mm-hmm. that that God is the one who chose them. And then you see others in you know in scripture you see you know you see Potiphar you see Pharaoh you see I mean that's that they're walking according to their own accord they're walking according to their own works and and it's just different I mean it's just it's different God you can see that that you know what's the difference between Moses and Pharaoh well really nothing other than God chose Moses mm-hmm. I mean it's according to His sovereign gracious choice that He chose Moses I mean. You know what's the difference between you know David and some of the wicked kings? Well, it was because David, you know, David God chose David, and we see that clearly. That's actually graphically shown with 
you know, the way he was chosen as king. You know, that's he, he was minding his own business. He's shepherding, shepherding the sheep. He's the youngest brother, you know, and Samuel says, well, you've got another brother, right? You know, I mean, bring me that kid. And, and that's what, you know, that's how David was chosen. He wasn't, he didn't, you see it in the life of Paul, you know, where, you know, he's not, he's on, on the road to Damascus to, to persecute Christians. And so, you know, he was, he didn't choose to be, you know, he didn't choose to, to be there when Christ, I mean, Christ is the one who chose to, to appear to him. And so we see that pattern all through scripture, Peter and the apostles. I mean, it's, it's all through scripture. I mean, it's just so clear that that's, that God is the one who makes that sovereign choice. And so, and, and it's not by works because, I mean, as an example, Paul was, I mean, he says he was the foremost of all sinners. And, and I don't take that to be, I think, I mean, he was, he was persecuting, you know, the saints. I mean, so when, when Christ appeared to him. So, yeah, it's clear, the testimony of Scripture is clear that it's by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, that not, you know, not as a result of works, it is the gift of God. That is the that is the the scripture. Okay, so we're saved by faith, but then as you read the book of James, James talks a lot about works, mm-hmm. and so how does that how does that, how does that fit with with faith in faith alone? Well, yeah, James too, but I think James is he's addressing the other side of it, and because Paul says that that you know we're saved by grace through faith, clear, not as a result of works, but then he says we are his workmanship. That's verse ten. And but and he says created in Christ Jesus for good works, so so Paul addresses it. Paul addresses that if you have true faith, you're going to have good works. So you you know somebody that says I'm I believe, but then they don't have good works, that's problematic, even according to Paul, because because the because the evidence of the true faith is good works. You might say it's the fruit of the spirit. And, you know, that he addresses that in, in uh, Galatians 5, you know, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, uh, those, those things that, that, you know, there's no law against those things. And so, so you know, that's, that's the, that's, good works is the evidence of salvation, but it's a result of salvation, where James is trying to say, look, you know, you're the you. You may be claiming to have faith. You may be claiming to have true faith, but ultimately, you you don't have true faith because you don't have works. Now, the way he says it can be confusing, but we know that's what he's talking about because he's talking. He actually talks like he he gives the example of Abraham and Rahab in that same in James chapter two, and we know that's what he's saying because. Because he's showing that that Abraham actually believed in Genesis 15, and he was willing to offer up his son Isaac in Genesis 22. But it was the, it was the, it basically it was the work of offering up his son that proved that he truly believed in Genesis 15. You know, that's the, so Genesis 22 was the result that showed that he actually believed in Genesis 15. That Genesis 15 was true. Mm. That's James' point. Rahab is another one, and you know he she she you know, covered for the spies, but you can go, you can see where Rahab actually said that, you know, we heard about your God and, you know, and so she feared him. And so she believed, she, she had a belief, she believed in him. Therefore she covered for the spies, right? Mm -hmm. It was, so it was again, the work that she did 
as a result of the belief. And so, again, what James is at, what James is actually getting at there, we've talked a lot about it in our, so a lot of our listeners will have heard me say this, but what James is actually getting there, getting to there is, he's talking about people who wouldn't, you know, they they had un, they had believers coming to their door in need. And they were turning them out. They were saying, "No, you go war- be warm, be filled, and go away." Kind of idea, and and so you know. But the issue there is there were, they were unwilling to stick their neck out for people. And James was saying that's that shows you you don't have a true faith. Mm-hmm. You know that you're unwilling to help your brother in need it shows that you don't have a true faith. And so when you understand it and you understand it in the right way, all of a sudden it makes complete sense what he's saying. You know, that you can't hide behind your quote-unquote faith because he even says the demons believe God is one and they shudder, right? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, so so there, you, it's a, that's a demonic belief. A, a, a belief that doesn't have good works, that doesn't have good works as a result of that belief, is a demonic belief. So a belief without works isn't true belief. That's right. Why do you think the Catholic Church teaches that it, it is faith plus works? Is that, do they... Go overboard on James, or yeah, it's they that James is kind of there. As a matter of fact, Luther. I mean, it's it's fairly well known that Luther called James the Epistle of Straw, and it's and and I know that's probably one of one of Luther's lower moments to to say that, but but I mean, you know, he did say that, and so so we have to you know understand it, and I think it's because the Catholic Church kept throwing James in his in his face. So well. You know, faith. James is saying you have to have works. You know that that it's all works is part of it. Well, works is part of it, but you gotta you can't you can't get it. You can't. It's not synergistic. Salvation is not synergistic. Salvation is monergistic. Monergistic. Mm. It's by it's God alone doing the work. And so. Mm. That's a good yeah good way to look at it. Yeah, and so so that's what that's where the. Catholics get it wrong is that they make it monergistic. So it's not as if they would say faith faith saves you, right? They would they would agree with Paul, but they but they also throw works in there, you know, as part of it. And you know that they 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 make it synergistic as opposed to monergistic. So when we look at the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, what is the purpose of the rewards in heaven? Well, I I take it to be that that actually they they bring God God gets the glory, mm. Christ gets the glory. That ultimately the rewards are meaningless. It's not as if I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have more crowns than you. Matter of fact, it, you know, I think the it was it's is it the those around that throw the crowns right. at his feet. And so I don't I don't think that there's gonna be this, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. I, I don't I think the point there is we're all gonna be there's not gonna be this ranking in heaven in that way. And so yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately he's the one that gets the gets the glory. But it's not anything to do do to me. It's everything due to him. I mean, it's it's he's the one that gets the he's the one that gets all the praise. And you know, I don't get, I don't get that. I mean, I'm he's I get it, but then I give it right back. And and that's what's what's so amazing. Yeah. How that's going to work. Yeah. Why is faith alone? You think so important? Well, because I I think that I think that's exactly what it is. Is that he alone gets the glory. That he's the he's going to be the reason why we're there. He's going to be the reason, you know. That he's going to he alone is going to be the reason. I think First Corinthians fifteen gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what of what's going on there. And in, in, uh, go to go to First Corinthians one fifteen, uh, verse twenty six. 
Yeah, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. But if you go to, um, if you go, he, he goes through it, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, verse 20. So 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, and when he has abolished all rule and authority, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things put into subjection, it is evident that, evident that he has accepted who put all things in subjection to him. That would be Christ. I'm taking it to be Christ. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the ones who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Hmm. And so even, even in, the, in the sense of at the end of the day, at the end of it, God becomes all in all. And so, I mean, it's that's a very interesting Trinitarian passage there and what's happening there and what's going on. But I, I take it to be that the Son is going to glorify the Father and the Father is going to glorify the Son and ultimately in that, in that whole exchange, and we're glorifying God, we're glorifying the Son in that whole exchange, mm-hmm. God gets all the glory. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. It, it is quite beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, okay, so the Bema Seat, as we, as we wrap this up, the purpose of it, again, is... It's basically going to reveal... It's going to burn away our works that were done that are wood, hay, and stubble are going to be burned away, and everything is going to be revealed that's pure. It's going to be revealed what we've done in Christ. He, he's going to reward us for it, I take it to be that those rewards are going to be, we're going to, basically, he gets the glory for all those things. And at the end of the, at the end of everything, that he's going to glorify God, God, or God's going to glorify him, he's going to glorify the Father, and ultimately, God gets all the glory. I mean, so, it's a, it's, it's a very beautiful picture of, of how it's all going to culminate, and, you know, it's hard for us from a, you know, being finite and, you know, having a finite mind, it's hard for us to completely imagine what that's going to look like. But all I can say is it looks to me like that it's going to be just a big old glory fest that where every, every participant's going to be elevated and, and that God is going to ultimately get all the glory for that. So, yeah. And it's not going to be something that we have to be afraid of. No. That as believers, we are we are there to glorify our Lord, and and the things that that we've done, He He already had predestined for us to do. That's right. And hopefully, in prayerful, we did a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, for sure. I mean, there, I mean, there's a you know, there is a the assurance of faith that you know that obviously you know a man needs to examine his own work and. But I think, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves. And so we ought to be taking time to look at the works that we're doing, the things that we're doing, and, you know, whether or not we actually are 
you know, is whether or not Christ is really in us. And, and it's the works. It's the fruit that reveals that, right? I mean, so I need to be testing myself. And, and what that would be is, is that, you know, being honest with, you know, in terms of what, you know, if people come to you and they point things out and it's being honest about it, you know, that, oh, it's humility, the humility of mind and heart to say, I may not be doing, I'm, I may think that I'm doing this in Christ, that I'm, you know, like for me, you know, we planted this church seven years ago, almost to the day, seven years ago from, from now. And matter of fact, we were on the road from California to, to Gainesville when, during this time, seven years ago. And, you know, I may have it in my mind that I did this, I planted, you know, planted this church for Christ and, and Christ is building his church. And I say that all the time, but, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, it looks like you might be doing that in pride, you know, it may, you may be being, you know, prideful there. You know, I need to be examining that. I need to be trying to see if that's something that I'm doing in Christ or if it's something for my own glory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's ways to test yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we'll just imagine if you were taken away from it, what, what kind of loss would you suffer? Would it be loss that, you know, your identity's gone? Well, if, if, you're having, if your identity's in being a pastor or being a church planter or, you know, the, in your work, then, you know, your identity needs to be in Christ, not in those things, right? So, so when we suffer loss here in, the, in this world, we begin to see whether or not our ident- where we actually are finding our identity. And I think that's what, you know, Paul's heart is in terms of testing yourself. So the Bema Seat, nothing to be afraid of. Hopefully something that is a glorious, glorious occasion. Yes. And I, I do have a, a slight fear in my mind, and I know this is a pride thing, but I have a fear that I'm going to be in line and I'm going to be standing behind... Martin Lloyd Jones, Charles Spurgeon, John MacArthur, and R.C. Sproul, and I will be the next one in line, and that would be quite embarrassing. Well, I I would have to agree with you. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, the podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening.